Ah, Dubai, the Burj Khalifa, the Dubai Fountain, the iceberg, the palm. Wait, what? Imagine a huge piece of ice, three kilometers long, just next to the Palm Jumeirah seven-star hotel, splashing in 35-degree water. That sounds utterly crazy, yet it may soon become a reality. And you know what? It may even be a sustainable and affordable source of drinking water. Some weeks ago, a LinkedIn post from Nuria Claremont-Folch caught my attention. She shared a BBC article listing three alternative sources of water that may solve the drinking water crisis. It featured desalination, quite an obvious application in the water industry nowadays, atmospheric water generation, a topic that I've explored with Nafkaran Simbaga from ACVO, and iceberg harvesting. I don't know about you, but to me that iceberg thing felt like a joke, or maybe worse, opportunistic exploitation of global warming. Yet, the article linked to an enigmatic project in Dubai, so I decided to go down the rabbit hole. If you're like me and you never heard before of iceberg harvesting, you'll feel like Socrates or Jon Snow, you'll realize that you know nothing. So suspend your disbelief for a minute and embark with me, you'll be surprised. Abdullah Al-Shehi is an ambitious businessman with a dream, bringing an iceberg to the United Arab Emirates. He wrote about that in a book 10 years ago, and honestly, not all the ideas listed in that book were fully ready to be implemented. Tell me in the comments if you'd be interested to know more, because, well, a green jihad on the desert sounds intriguing, right? Well, I would appreciate if, for once, you could stay on topic. <sighs> Al-Shehi actually has four arguments to promote his iceberg project. First, and above all, a big chunk of ice happens to be a perfect reservoir of drinking water. Mining an iceberg the size Al-Shehi ambitions to flow to the Emirates would, according to him, cover the needs of one million people for up to five years. We've already seen that iceberg water is pretty popular when bottled, so there's no reason why a point-of-use production of the purest water there is on Earth wouldn't appeal to Dubai residents. Hence, the plan is to replicate a practice that's quite common in, for instance, Canada, where besides water bottles, melted icebergs also serve as the key ingredient to the world's purest vodka. But according to Abdullah Al-Shehi, the benefits don't stop there. Indeed, his second good reason is environmental. The drinking water produced through the melted iceberg would be so much less water that would need to come out of a desalination plant, which in turn means fewer brines rejected to the sea, a factor that's not to neglect when you consider that the Emirates desalination plants account for 15% of the world's capacity. Good reason number three, bringing rain in the desert. Indeed, there shall be a column of cold air above the iceberg, attracting clouds and more clouds means more rain. The argument sounds about right if we consider that the iceberg will create a cold front. Now, keep in mind, I'm not a meteorological expert either. Finally, in a region where people come to ski indoor, having a chance to walk on a real iceberg while having the Palm or the Burj Khalifa as a background for your selfies is clearly an appeal for new forms of tourism. And I said tourism, not sustainable tourism. If we wrap up all the advantages, the full project starts to make sense. Now, there's a tiny little detail to sort out, 
but I can't put my finger on it. Alright, you just need to find an iceberg and convey it to Dubai. Wait, I see your ironic smile behind the screen. Ah, Dubai is at it again. But what if I told you that towing icebergs is an idea that's been around for about two centuries? Look, a 1925 essay collection published in London already mentions the old project of towing icebergs into the Southern Ocean for the purpose of equalizing the temperature on Earth. See, at the time, we had ambition. But that wasn't just a vaporous project. The Encyclopedia of Antarctica reports how small icebergs were towed for refrigerating purposes in breweries in the mid-19th century. Small ships were conveying them from Laguna San Rafael to Valparaiso, sometimes even mounting sails on the icebergs. Then, when there's money on the line, you can count on American entrepreneurs to pop in. In 1863, the ninth volume of the Scientific American reports how a genius in New Bedford is developing a steamer to tow icebergs to India, where they sell for six cents a pound. Yet even more disruptive, another one plans to fit a screw in the iceberg itself, thus avoiding the expense of shipbuilding. Don't low, the British Army seriously considered and tested the option of icebergs as an aircraft carrier during the Second World War. Before that, in 1914, the Washington Times featured an ad. No, not that one, this one. Wanted tugboat captains and ice dealers who would be interested in towing icebergs into harbors. The ad was from the Northenberg Ice Company, which was planning to tow icebergs into Boston, New York, Baltimore, and Philadelphia, exhibit them by excursion steamers, and then dynamite the bergs into small pieces for the ice market. That furiously resembles the 2021 Dubai project, no? 1949 is the year where all of that gets a bit more serious, when John Isaacs mentions an iceberg towing project. In a seminar at the Scripps Oceanic Institute, where he worked, he suggests towing an Antarctic iceberg north across the equator to bring fresh water to Southern California. Isaac's idea emerged as he was working on a project to transfer Columbia River water to California in an underwater pipe. He swiftly realized that the larger the pipe was, the cheaper it was becoming in terms of cost per cubic meter. But a very large pipe was swiftly becoming first large that it contained enough water to supply much more than the entire Southern California. So why not keeping a large pipe but reduce its length? So his project became a container. But a container, given its cost, would have to travel back once emptied from his water. So it became a ship. But a ship would cost as much in one day of propulsion than the worth of the entire water it contains. And if you look at the size needed, it would be roughly the volume of, well, you guessed it, a tabular Antarctic iceberg. Plus, that floats much better and does not need a pipe, a container, or a ship to wrap it. John Isaacs later expanded on the idea and estimated the ideal iceberg shall be an 8 billion ton one, 30 kilometers long, 1 kilometer wide, and 300 meters deep. So if I translate that, 110 Titanics long, 35 Titanics wide, and 6 Titanics deep. Towing it from Antarctica to San Diego would take 200 days, and as it would leverage as much as possible from the sea currents, it would only cost 0.001 cents per ton to move. Now, according to Isaacs, at the size of that iceberg, 
it would still represent an energy need of one to two atomic bombs. That may sound pharaonic, but it puts it in comparison with the energy needed to desalinate the same amount of water, which would rather be in the scale of tens of thousands of atomic bombs. And yes, I agree with you, using atomic bombs as a measurement unit is probably not the most convenient move. John Isaacs kept expanding on his iceberg ideas for the rest of his career. Even though he died in 1980 and thus never met Abdullah al-Shehi, he got eventually asked what he thought of towing an iceberg to the Middle East when that project first emerged in the 1970s. To him, it sounded at best a bad idea, if not impossible. His rationale was that towing Antarctica icebergs would have much more to do with surfing ocean currents than with good ships. Hence, it may be wiser to first target places like Chile, Peru, South Africa or Australia, but we'll come back to that. For now, we see that the cost of an iceberg-based resource builds a rational over interbasin water transfers or desalination, and dragging it across the globe by leveraging sea currents is at least serious enough for science people like Isaacs to dare to expose the idea. But so far, aside from the small pieces the Chilean brewers were dragging, that full topic of iceberg towing is still very theoretical. That all changed in the 1960s when oil companies developed an actual towing technology to move icebergs. Nothing overly complicated, you circle the iceberg with a rope and pull it with a ship from a distance of about 200 meters. Oil companies didn't do that to harvest the icebergs for drinking water purposes. They just wanted to avoid a reverse Titanic incident because oil rigs may not be moving, but icebergs are. So since the 1960s, they employ iceberg hunters that drag the pieces of ice out of the oil platform's direct neighborhood. And that's commonplace nowadays, as hundreds of icebergs are deflected from oil rigs trajectory every year. So if the 50s were the decade of the ideation with John Isaacs, and the 60s the decade of the proof of concept with the oil rigs iceberg hunters, the 70s would be the decade where all of that becomes mainstream. In 1973, RAND, one of the world's largest think tanks, produces a 96 pages report for the National Science Foundation simply called Antarctic Icebergs as a Global Freshwater Resource. To them, the idea is not only possible, but simply brilliant. They start by assessing the opportunity. With 1 trillion cubic meters of icebergs produced in Antarctica every year, that renewable water source could possibly cover the water needs of 5 billion people. They then estimate that the iceberg's climate impact is negligible compared with the Antarctica sea and land ice. So you could harvest all of them with very little, if any, impact. Anyways, they recommend aiming for 10% of the icebergs, at least to start with, and to select the best-shaped ones thanks to NASA satellite imaging. RAND also modeled the actual towing and estimated that winds and currents would be factors to consider, still long after Coriolis forces the convoy would need to overcome. Hence, they calculated the optimal shape and size of the expedition with this formula, where D is the drag in newtons, V is the Okay, let me jump to conclusions. The ideal train should be 20 kilometers long, 600 meters wide, and 300 meters deep. So 74 Titanics long, yeah, that was only funny once. 
icebergs in the train shall be insulated by wrapping them in plastic sheets and moved with electrical propellers to power all of that, no less than a floating nuclear power plant shall be installed at the rear of the train. But how much would it cost? According to rent, about $8 per thousand cubic meters of ice stored and another $8 per thousand cubic meters to transform that ice into drinking water upon arrival. Factoring in the transfer of that water to distribution terminals on shore, that study accounts for a $30 price tag per thousand cubic meters of iceberg water. Hence, Rand's conclusion confirming John Isaac's intuition, all in all, iceberg water is much cheaper than desalination, interbasin water transfers, or water reclamation. To quote them, the more avenues that are explored, the more promising the concepts seem to become. And that triggered many concepts. One of the paper's authors, John Holt, left Rand to create his company with the project to wrap an iceberg in plastic and tow it to Southern California for $30 million. He would then bottle it in souvenirs for tourists and sell the bulk of it as drinking water to Los Angeles. And that attracted a major player in this iceberg harvesting game, Prince Mohammed bin Faisal Al Saud, son of the King of Saudi Arabia. The prince was then the official in charge of Saudi Arabia's desalination program, which he saw as costly and inefficient, requiring vast amounts of capital to build desalination plants and equally vast amounts of energy to run them. Intrigued and appealed by Rand's report, he started investigating the iceberg topic. In June 1977, the New York Times reports on one of his ideas with French explorator Paul-Emile Victor using nuclear submarines to push icebergs to arid places of the world. Then, in October that same year, he funded an iceberg conference at the Iowa University, where he was joined by scientists from 18 countries. To make a lasting impression, he proceeded to capture and transport a piece of Alaskan iceberg through helicopter, plane, and truck, and Congress attendees thus enjoyed parts of the world's most expensive piece of ice as coolers for their cocktails. The conference became an annual event and perdured into the 1980s. In 1978, the California legislature became the first public body to officially approve an iceberg towing project, and in 1979, NASA integrates it into its ice and climate research program. Prince Mohammed creates his dedicated company, Iceberg Towing International, and appoints a French engineer, Georges Mougin, as CEO. But the interest starts to cool down. Cool down, icebergs, you got it? Indeed, moving icebergs around still raises many questions. What would be the international acceptability of exploiting Antarctic resources? What may be the environmental consequences along the way and upon arrival? And probably the most problematic one, are we really sure that the melting process won't be too fast? Wilford Weeks of the US Army Coal Region's Research and Engineering Laboratory was vocal about that concern in a Time Magazine article. Once you get north of the equator, you'll have nothing but a rope at the end of your toe. So the iceberg towing topic only served as a joke in the Brewster's Millions movie, while Prince Mohammed moved on, stopped financing research, and closed his iceberg company in 1980. What I would like to do is go to the North Pole, select a good-sized iceberg, and simply dig out a chamber from the rear end of it, drop in two 20,000 horsepower marine diesel engines, and sail, ah, Brewstersburg, number one to Mecca. What do you think, sir?
Is that full story over? Indeed, not at all. Georges Mougin, Prince Mohammed's company's former CEO, kept the dream alive. He went through a kind of desert as no serious new project emerged for almost two decades, but in 2003, Mougin teamed up with Dassault System to leverage a revolution. In 20 years, many things had changed. He now had access to much more meteorological data and you no longer needed NASA's involvement to have live access to satellite data. But even more game-changing, modeling had made a quantum leap. That's how the model built by his team showed that towing a 7 million ton tabular iceberg would only request one single tugboat with a 130 tons traction strength. The iceberg would travel at the speed of little under a knot and it would take 141 days to complete a journey from Newfoundland to the Canaria while losing 38% of its masses. Now, unless I missed a big news, I never heard of an iceberg that would effectively have reached the Canaria. It seems like that project faded out for unknown reasons around 2013 after a movie was made on it in 2011. But if we jump back to Abdullah al Shay's project to bring an iceberg to Dubai, it still builds its credibility by placing it in Prince Mohammed's and Georges Mougin's legacy. I visited George Mougin in 2017 to learn from him about the project and they have made a very strong study about it and they made a computer simulation in order to identify the best ways of technically making the project feasible. To my knowledge, the 91-year-old Mougin is not directly involved in the Emirates today, but that doesn't mean he renounced his dream either. He's maybe the last man standing from the pioneers we've covered, like John Isaacs, John Holt, or Prince Mohammed, but he's now part of another project currently led by Nicholas Sloan in South Africa. If there's one city in the world that's well aware that there's a 40% gap between the world's projected water withdrawals in 2030 and the existing accessible and reliable water supplies, it's Cape Town. Indeed, they went very close to day zero in 2017 and even if last minute rain finally bettered the situation, they know that climate change won't give them a rest. Hence, Nick Sloan's project to tow an iceberg to Cape Town. Sloan who notably was in charge of refloating the infamous Costa Concordia, would deal with the towing and Mougin bring his 40 years iceberg background. These two have also built a full team of experts around them, like Olaf Oheim, a former director of the Norwegian Polar Institute, Marcello Vichy, a professor of oceanography at the University of Cape Town, and Alan Condren. Well, I'll let Alan introduce himself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I can tell you a bit about myself too. Yeah. So I mean, I'm a, I'm a climate modeler by profession. Essentially, using you know numerical models to simulate the climate system. My research itself, I look a lot at uh, the polar regions and ice, and I spent the sort of last five to ten years writing this a model to simulate icebergs and how they drift in the ocean. Actually, I really wanted to go to the bottom of that rabbit hole, so I cut too long from interviews with Alan Condron and Abdul Al Shay for the Don't Waste Water podcast. So make sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss it. Actually, Alan covers the ins and outs of iceberg towing from a scientific point of view and tells us a bit about the Cape Town project, while Abdullah takes us through the steps and stages of the Emirati project. So, will an iceberg ever float next to Cape Town, San Diego, Perth or Dubai? Will it be crushed and mixed in the desperately drying reservoirs of cities in arid places? Who knows? Not me. So don't ask me to bet on whether Abdul Al-Shay in Dubai or Nicholas Sloan in Cape Town 
will be the first to do it. Again, you can build an idea for yourself by listening to the long form interviews I'll be featuring on the Don't Waste Water podcast. And as soon as they're released, I'm gonna put the link in the description just down here. But when Sloan declares to Bloomberg's Business Week that he thinks that 20 or 30 years from now, Towing icebergs will be a regular thing, I have to say, so thought John Isaac 70 years ago, and it still didn't happen. Yet, in a world where people pay a fortune to acquire bottled iceberg water, it is honestly quite surprising that no one has taken the plunge yet, and it surely deserves much more than the raised eyebrow I had at the beginning of this investigation. In February, two United Nations scientists published a paper for the World Economic Forum, reviewing alternative water sources that may solve dry areas challenges. And iceberg harvesting made it to their shortlist. John Isaacs once said that the general innovative process taught in our society and ingrained in even our best engineers and scientists is one that represents only marginal changes from past practice. But real innovation comes from exploring concepts based on the notion that there is something fundamentally wrong about past practices. So what do you think? Will we soon see icebergs in every marina? If that's the case, I'll be pumped up to talk about it. See you soon. Oh, by the way, if you enjoy what I'm doing with this YouTube video or with the channel in general, please make sure to subscribe and hit the like button. That helps me a lot. Thank you.